Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Deer Gear Podcast. Listen, I apologize. I have been MIA for the last three weeks, and that's just flat out unacceptable. But we have had so much exciting stuff going on here at Exodus, and you guys have absolutely overwhelmed us with the support on the Exodus NIS 204 diameter hunting arrows. And Bobby and I have just been building like crazy, and I haven't had time to sit down and record and edit these podcasts. So I deeply apologize, but we are back in action and we are back with another episode with Dorch. But after this, I am getting back to two weeks of gear related talk. I want to get back to the roots of the Deer Gear podcast. I want to keep the archery stuff in there, but season is coming. Gear is hot on my mind. I have some trips planned and I need to start learning about what the killers are using. So with that said, this episode is with Dorch. We talk all about the 166 diameter shaft, what it's good for. Dorge isn't a complete 166 hater, I've learned in this episode, and quite frankly, he may have convinced me to want to give one a shot just to see how it performs compared to the 246 and 204 diameter arrows that I'm used to. But like I said, guys, we have so much exciting stuff going on here at Exodus. Velvet Fest is about to blast off next week the official start to deer season and we're going to be celebrating this year in a huge way so make sure you're signed up for the email newsletter to be notified what sales are popping off we're going to have a four-week event and there's going to be a new sale every week so you're not going to want to miss it and guys you haven't heard me announce this but we have a giveaway going on with latitude you can win a set of the new latitude ss speed series climbing sticks the carbon climbing sticks you can win a three pack of those a dozen exodus arrows and a new rival all you have to do is sign up with the link in the description below and you're entered to win the winner is going to be announced very soon i apologize i haven't uh, had time to announce that but act fast get on that sign up list it's in the link in the description and you'll be entered to win i believe the winner is going to be announced next week so make sure you're doing that and guys with that being said let's get into today's podcast All right, everyone, welcome back uh, to another episode of the Deer Gear Podcast. Listen, I apologize. George and I have been out. We haven't had uploads, but I have been absolutely overwhelmed and swamped with building Exodus NIS orders. So thank you, everyone that has ordered. But uh, with that said, I apologize for missing some uploads. And George, I apologize to you for uh, not being (laughs) able to sit down. But man, I've been swamped. No, I am serious. You are swamped. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah it's it's been serious uh, that's that's for sure but i mean the um the folks love the 204 diameter shaft and um it seems like uh just like with anything i mean you are a manufacturer of a ton of different things and people always want what you don't have right and of course it's uh we're getting smaller in diameter here with the Exodus arrows. We have the 246, we have the 204, and everyone's like, where's the 166? So today we're going to talk about um, the 166 shaft, uh, the shortcomings, what, what it's good for, and uh, I guess how to make it work if you're in love with that with that shaft. Okay, well, let's, let's, let's really dive into this because the, I got so good customers. They, I just love the look of the 166. <laughs> They didn't talk about how good it shoots. They didn't talk about how much problem they got. They just simply say they like the look of the 166. 
Okay. It's America. I understand. I understand <laughs> that. I mean, just like when my last conversation with Professor Salik, who is one of the best aer aeronautical engineer that I've ever seen, he say he was taught by his last professor when he gets PhD. He say when you design something, especially airplane, it has to look good. Otherwise, it can't be sold. Whatever it works doesn't matter. It has to look good. Now the question is, that what is looking good? For me, the larger the diameter, the better the air looks. But that's just me. Some people like it thin. But I understand. In arrows, of course. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now, let, let, let's talk about manufacturing process of 166 and what's involved. Why do people look at 166 and even as, sim as crazy as 125, okay? Um, the 166 arrow have one benefit that I cannot deny is that if you do a traditional archery, if you do a quote unquote really rough hunting, I mean, just like the, uh, if you are crazy enough fishing like me, you will remember the Daiwa Heartland series fishing rod. What it does is it's a super thick wall, ultra thin diameter. It gives you, and in the case of fishing rod, you absolutely have the benefit of cutting through air a lot easier. But anybody who understands thick wall, thin diameter fishing rods, they notice that, yes, aerodynamic it sounds correct because it goes through air a lot faster. But the response of the rod is sucks. That means when you cast, after finishing casting, the tip of the rod will wiggle up and down, up and down. Do you know why? It's not the module, it's not right. It's simply the wall is too thick. In order to bend thick wall, your memory effect, and then as a memory, in other words, as a memory kicked in, you apply energy. You also have to take energy out. That's the reason a thin, tone core, a thin shaft with a thick wall is not ideal. Well, can you use material science to offset it? Answer is absolutely yes. That's the reason you notice in the 166, I'll name a few good arrows that people really like, like the original VAP, like the Black Eagle uh, X Impact, not the Deep Impact. So the Deep Impact is a heavier wall, lower modulated carbon 166 shaft. It is great if you do picks because it's a really heavy shaft. But again, when you start shooting more than compound bow, you want the arrow speed to be reasonably higher. Otherwise, you don't get the benefit of shooting compound bow. In the but modulation of carbon. Correct. Because you got like higher modulation, usually equivalent to lower uh, lower grain per Wait. inch. Yep. Then you've got a bit you got a faster arrow shaft. Because higher modulation also had one benefit, it recovered faster. That's the reason if you're into fishing like the OIMX from Gilomus, it's going to be better than the GL2 or the GL1 or the GL3, and then you got a GLX. X means that it's a 40 million module carbon compared to, say, uh, uh, a 28, 20, 32, or even a, 30, a 24. But then what are the downside? Well, that's the reason when people say, do I want, I want to shoot X impact, and I usually do not recommend anything 350 or below. Because the wall is so thin and then you don't have enough material, it's brittle. Brittle, yeah. Yep. That's the reason when you look at the fab, then you go to 700 exchange spine, it's actually heavier because the material has changed. You, yep. I was just going to say they use a, they actually use a different material for those different spines. And then it's actually the diameter also get bigger on the OD. Yeah. So just like, you know, is that a way to overcome all of the above? Answer is yes. But it's a very costly process.
can you get, I mean, I'm talking chef only. We're not talking how to approach the, we're talking the chef in manufacturer. How can we possibly make a 166 thin enough to make you feel great, sexy looking chef, best material, and then uh, some people some, throw some throw some uh, uh, X weave or whatever on it, but actually it doesn't do anything because the, the, when you look at one six six, the wall thickness is really the critical part, and the modulation carbon, the directional of the carbon itself combined make a big difference on how one six six worked. Is there a way to make it ideal? Answer: You said no, it's not. If you compare side by side uh, on the same cost benefit, you cannot compute with a two forty six. In some cases, even the three hundred. But if you insist that I absolutely love like the look of the 166 and I want it to perform very similar to a 246, what can you do? First, we increase the modulation. So you use a much more expensive material. So you can decrease the wall thickness. Is that the idea there? Correct. You can you use less material. Wall, wall, but remember, you still need the spine back. Yeah, yeah. So then the modulation goes up, but then at the same time, you know, I'm building arrow which using my two patterns. So I need everything I want to have before. I want to shrink it by, I mean, if you think about it, the 246 of the OD is closer to, two, uh, to uh, 275, all the way to 166. If you look at the actual percentage of the wall thickness over it, it's over doubled. Wow. Because the diameter really shrink. You think a 166 to 246 is not much, but you look at the circumference. Remember, this this is is a is a, a diameter times pi, okay, times three. So if you shrink half, it's more than one and a half times smaller. Right. Your circumference. Yeah. So now, what can you possibly do? Now, the first thing is that you know I I refuse to build an arrow that's not beyond safe. Can I do that in the say ultra high modular carbon? Answers yes, but it will be heavy. And then because you're going to use more high? material. Yeah, because uh, yeah, you have to support it. Yeah. But then if I need to use more material, still we want to control the spine directional control, and then using what I have for before, like the the ninety degree hundred eighty plus uh, forty five degree one thirty five. The only way to do it is shrink the, the thickness of the wall, the thickness of the carbon fiber. Well, I sort of did it. I did it with a 1K4K. The downside is that you're looking at 500% more expensive in material. Sheets. <laughs> and then you also increase 500 times the material. Now, 500% more material. Oh, wow. The, the thing through the product, I mean, we're talking material only. Remember, when you make a shaft, the one of the most expensive is labor and process. Okay. Now, at this moment, very much like my Knox. Remember the old days when you talk about Knox, people take 25 cavity, 4 cavity, and then regrind? Yeah. I mean, so anytime machine cost for me is 25 times more because I'm going to go in cavity. And then in the case of regrind, you throw back 70% of the material. So you cost 70% more material, which is, if you think reversely, is actually two and a half times more material in cost. Now, in the case of the 1K, 4K, is 25 times more in cost of the material alone. Jesus. Now you understand because see, that is why the uh the 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 when you're dealing with the uh when they're dealing with the 1k 4k or the one and a half k 4k, I use one and a half k in 204, my 204, but I use 1k 4k 
in the 166. Well, under that condition, you instantly, the cost go way high. But I got all my specs. Because see, the modulation high enough, I still have my uh, uh, my, my my linear spine. I still have all, everything, except I just now put all the effort into material. Now, you I mean, theoretically, if I do not went through my channel to build stuff, you're looking at a, something like a carbon express medallion set of shafts, because technically it's the same deal. But it was a little bit better menu uh, labor process to build it. Sure. A set of comics were daily in six fifty, you know. Six hundred fifty bucks. Yes. For bear shaft. Yes, bear shaft. For twelve. Yep. When you put tungsten shaft, spin wing, knocks, you're looking at about eleven hundred and fifty bucks a dozen arrow. And your one six six is two twenty bear shaft. Yep, bear shaft. Wow. Now you know why people in the NFA love my stuff, <laughs> because. <laughs> Because, see, you know, unlike others, I mean, you need to understand in the archery industry, in most cases, if you build a dozen arrow at a dollar, that dozen arrow you sell for 120 bucks. Yeah. That's how much you need to because all the middlemen. Right. In yeah. case of me and you, I don't have middlemen. Right. I am the manufacturer. And you are my OEM guy. So... <laughs> That's the difference. Yeah, that's we can do things that other people can't touch. Pretty beneficial to have that relationship. Well, that's true, but then now that is reason why our one six six is actually I I personally feel like it's better than the the Pro Tour, which is the, another six hundred dollar dozen shaft. Which is is that aluminium. an Eastern shaft? Yeah, or X ten. I'm looking that up right now. Um, which one did you say it was? Pro Tour or the X10. Those are the two ones. Those the are Pro aluminium Com? and yeah, Procom. Procom. Yeah, these are okay. On Easton's website, doesn't give a price. Yeah, but usually you figure that when you feel it, build it with the tungsten point, you're looking at about nine hundred to twelve hundred dollars. Did you say nine hundred to twelve hundred dollars? Correct. What is uh? Why? What's the because so in order those you know you use those shafts, you usually start with tungsten points. The tungsten point average is about five hundred six hundred and fifty dollars a dozen on the point, and then the shaft is uh, five hundred to six hundred. Then you put your knocks and vein. Then you're at eleven hundred to twelve hundred. Wow. You're not. You're, I mean, now you know why when I design things, I try to shift the density and so on for them. And remember, those are not compound bow shafts. Those are competition recurve shafts. The Procom? The Procom, the the the, uh, the X10s. X10 is a barrel shaft too. But I actually, you know, in case of my 166, I personally feel like that, that the performance is even better than that. Significantly better. It looks like uh, I just found the Eastern Procomps on um, Lancaster Archery on the uh so this is the eastern four millimeter ac pro comp hunter shaft 291 dollars for 12. yeah those are 100 don't know the competitions there's a different there's a major difference let me see if i can find the other ones um the pro tour is what they're the 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 the, the, the pro comp is the comp is the competition hunter they try to push them for that Remember how many people in uh, say in the archery competition will pay for the shaft? Yeah, right. No one. Oh, okay. Here they are. Easton X10 Pro Tour. These are 
$481 a dozen for bear yes, shaft. That's bear shaft. Yes. Now you see the you see people the, complain the, the, that the MMT or the NIS are expensive. No, because see, they don't understand. I mean, like the old days when you buy a set, a good Yamaha bowl, back in the days when um, a Matthew is just 300 bucks, how much is a Yamaha? Yamaha made bows? Yes, the competition bows. Those are seven, eight hundred bucks. But Matthew is three, four hundred dollars. Wow. I mean, but just like if you build, build with a win win bow, a recurve, that's two, three grand. Or you deal with something like the, uh, uh, uh what do you call it? The OK bow. Those uh, basic single cam, single cam compounds start at twenty, four hundred dollars. Jesus. So people just not familiar with what the cost structure is. Sure, that makes. sense. I mean, sense. just like fish, just like fishing. I mean, most, I mean, or even into into gardening. I mean, if you're into gardening, say you go and buy a pair of uh, Frisker scissors for six bucks, and then you went to a Japanese bonsai shop and get a one of the master to build a set of scissors, you're lucky to get one for under six hundred bucks. <laughs> I mean, it's like everything else. Yeah. If you know what you want and you know how good they are and you know what they would do. And there's no other way. I mean, it's like stereo. I mean, I remember the time when I was a dealer for when I went a uh, stereo source in college. I was a magna planner and uh, an uh, apogee dealer. How much is a set of apogee today? You don't touch one for under $70,000. How many thousand? 70000 Holy. That's, I mean, that's on the low end. I mean, on the high end, when you go into uh, some of the what, English speakers, that go up to 150,000 excluding installation. I mean, yes, and then you compare, I mean, you get a, a speakers and throw it on the table. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I remember the time when I was doing stereo. I, I have strict wire cable. I paid 450 bucks back in 1987 for a 20-foot speaker cable. And Whopper is two bucks. Do you know what you want? Do you want it bad enough? Do you understand what you're buying? That yeah. was the key. Yep. I mean, it's like everything else. If you understand what you want, price is really no object. If you want the extra, extra large free steps, you really don't have a choice because you had to go through that extreme to get there. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. I, but in the case of the 166, you can make it work, but you need to go through all these extreme to get it work. And it's not just extreme. It's an understanding of what you wanted to do, understand the material, Understand how you're supposed to function and how you're going to work with it. That was one of the big deals. That's the reason when you first start with a, with, with, tell me that you want to do an arrow. I tell you, don't touch the 166, don't touch the 204, get the MMT, at least get your foot in the door, understand the process. I mean, let's be frank, when you start 204, how much trouble you really got? Yeah, we, we struggled. Um, I mean, we didn't, there was a lot more to it than what we thought. I'll put it yeah, exactly. And remember, I built yours a lot simpler. I already engineered you to be the simplest, and right. you still face trouble. Yeah. Now imagine if you if I let you build one six six. I want to try. I do want to try it, just like to see how bad it is. Um, well, you know, one six six can be done, but just at the same time, everything you learned has to now move one step further. Okay. Now we talk about a shaft. Yes, we can use material science, we can use construction to make 166 behave like a 204. But remember, no matter what, 166 still have the same identical, it's not the same process. Now, in the case of most other company, 
the 166 is what you call a centerless grind process when you finish. What does that mean? That means unlike other shafts, you don't have a center point to it. You grind it. Mm. Grind it to exactly the way you want it with the OD. So what does that mean? That means the wall thickness of the arrow shaft from arrow to arrow is not the same. That means if you look at the wall thickness, I mean, OD is identical, but one side of the wall can be, say, 10 or 5 micron half larger than the other. But when you understand it's a centerless grind, anything less than a 204, you need to use a centerless grind process. Did I use a centerless grind process? No. <laughs> My mandrels can do wonders. And I don't <laughs> use metal mandrels. Let's just put it this way. <laughs> so that guarantees that you have concentricity around the wall. Correct. That's the reason I got concentrated. And at the same time, the finish is so refined. You can see that if anything is not done right, the weave will break, will be broken. Because the weave is only one-fifth the thickness of the normal 4K weave. When you have, man, I'm just thinking about this out loud, but when you have um, wall thickness that's not consistent throughout the shaft, and you're talking about trying to get the inserts to fit concentric. Inside. Oh, my gosh. Yep. Now you see why I do not ever, ever, ever make insert for those things. Because the moment you put it in, you concentric the insert. What does that mean? It's still off. <laughs> it's off because of the wall. Correct. You got it. Yeah. And that's going to be, I mean, I've seen this happen now. Like I've seen the run out that happens from not having your inserts in there. Perfect. And mm -hmm. I can just imagine the, the trouble that that would give you. Now think about it for 90%. I'm going to move up some shaft now. Shaft is finished. I'm going to move because the last point I point out is the uneven wall thickness of the shaft when you grind it. Yep. Because you, it's a centerless grind. If you don't control the center when you grind it, how do you guarantee when you're grinding on every single size the same? same but in case of the, the case of my 166.1K4K, if you slightly grind a tiny bit different, do you think you can see it? No. You're going to damage the fiber. Yeah. You're going to see every single damage on it. Yeah. Now you know why my 166 looks so good. Because there's so good. much freaking effort put into it. They do look good. Now, now uh, remember, now we're going to the front part, which is called the insert, okay? Now, we, we you already learned the note. You know what the note is. You already learned how the note behave, right? So if you do the 166, how much of the broadhead can be inside the shaft? If you shoot, a, say, a Sender AMO 32 How much can be inside of it? Mm-hmm. Not very much. As a not nothing, none. yeah, none. Yeah, because in order to make it work, you need to put a piece of metal inside the shaft. After the metal, you need space. Then you need the space for the thread. Then you need the space for the neck before you got brought. You got a few points. Yeah. So assuming that you do the normal thing, you put say one inch of the material inside your shaft. You got the entire broadhead sitting on top of that one inch, isn't it? Yep. So now say the broadhead itself is two inch long and the neck is one inch. Now you got a four inch yeah, piece. Four inch broadhead. And where is your node? Your behind node is that. not one inch behind the carbon. No. It's one inch behind the inside of the insert. Yeah. Now, where when, when your arrow flexes, the front part of the flex is five inches, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, how the hell did you point it right with the with the blades on it? Yeah, you can't. Well, 
His face looks beautiful. (laughs) 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 And now you know why you have such hard time shooting in a 166. Now, remember, that's with Blade. Now, if you've got a few points, let's go back to the time when, when Chad was doing this. If his field point is not aligned perfectly with the spine, the moment you shoot it, you got direction only five inch of movement mass in the front. Yeah. How the hell are you going to shoot that right? It's hard. Yes, it's very hard, isn't it? Especially it's close to impossible. Especially when you you need to shoot 80 pounds. Yes. And how, <laughs> how heavy a spine do you think you need to be with 30 when you draw? You technically need a 220 spine shaft. Yeah. 220 spine on a 166, how thick you think the war is going to be? Whew. How much you think the memory effect is going to be? Yeah, pretty it's pretty substantial. Okay, now, so how do you overcome all this? Well, when, when Black Eagle come with the uh, come up with the uh, deep impact, Randy and me talked. I say, well, you know what? The only way to make this work, you need to sort of shrink the node. That's the reason I come with the arrow outside. Do you know how much the carbon shaft the arrow outside covers? 17 millimeters. 17 millimeter is just over uh, uh, five, six, eight, nine sixteen of an inch. It's just over half inch. That means the arrow is covered just over half inch. But where is the broadhead? This is where the design get really interesting. I actually designed the broadhead with at least uh, on the basic you know, on the basic AMO standard, it's about 10 millimeter for the neck and 10 millimeter for the uh, for the thread. Okay. So from the, the point of the field point down to all the way, the thread end, supposed to be 20. Okay, now, see, remember the 20 numbers. Our arrow insert is 34 millimeters. That means 17 in the front and 17 in the back. Yep. But when you put a 20 millimeter in it, it go all the way through the insert into the carbon shaft, didn't it? Yep. There's three millimeter of this actually inside the carbon shaft. But where is them? Assuming they're using the same two inch broadhead. So where's your node? You remember the two inch broadhead is sticking out two inch in front of it. Plus the outsert ends is right behind the outsert plus one inch. Yep. You just decrease the whole thing by a full inch. Yeah, I was going to say by one inch, yeah. One inch. It may not sound like a lot, but nobody asks you to use a two-inch broadhead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So what, what happened? Be- and how long is your fuel point? Usually it's one inch. Yeah. So it won't be, be wise to design a broadhead that is one inch just like your fuel point. Then all of a sudden, the one inch, the, the entire broadhead, from the broadhead to where the insert ends is 34 millimeter, which is about one point, uh, 34 millimeter is one point, but just one, just under one and uh, one and three eight. So one and three eight plus one inch is two and three eight. Two and three eight plus the node, which is about an inch behind. You're looking at three and three eight. No, one and three eight, two and two. Yeah, three and three eight. Yeah. That's a 30% percent, 33% reduction. Now, how do we overcome that even further? How about put a CTI 160 right behind where the thread ends? Wait a minute. Say, don't you make it even heavier? Don't you take it longer to recover? Yes and no. 
it actually make it better. Because remember, the entire memory effect is the memory. The moment you CTI, what you do, you disrupt the memory. You disrupt the harmonics. So you actually make it work. Now you up the spine of the shaft, you disrupt the harmonics, and you make the arrow faster in recovery. Isn't that cool? Yeah. And those, I mean, those, the uh, arrow insert tubes are what, they're like 18 grains for the 166? Yeah, for the whole thing. Yeah. So the, the FOC, I mean, you, you help the FOC a little, but that is not what the intent. The intent is this disturb the harmonics and the memory effect of the shaft yep. in the front. Yep. The tail is still the tail. We haven't got that yet. But the day is ways around the tail too. We haven't reached that point. We, we, we're going from shaft to insert. So is that even a better way to make this better? Answer is yes. That is actually a concept that come up in 2019. It is called the uh, uh, stem outsource, stem uh, arrow stem system. In other words, imagine you got a screw with a flange in the middle. It's just a shank of thread. You got a flange in the middle. Okay. Now you stuck the half of it into the shaft, and you stuck the half of it above the shaft, and then you make your broadhead or fill point instead of a thread in it. You make a hole in it, so you screw onto the thread. So all of a sudden, the entire package shrank in 50%. Yeah, that makes sense. Because, you know, you, you have to give up the AMO standard. Because AMO comes, it's 832 with the, uh, with the five, with the about five millimeter shank that is both combined 20 millimeters. You can't do that. Because on the 160, you just cannot. You have to rethink a whole new package system. And this is what I did. I mean, as a matter of fact, the system was so well I licensed that to uh, to Swacker, which is the new Levi Morgan, whatever system they got. That's based on my patents. <laughs> because they also discover, in order to make that work, the ordinary insert, outsert, half-out system, none of them worked. Yeah, they don't. Now, some people say, well, you know, with the, with the full-out system, like typical one that you see in VAP, uh, you even see some of them. In, uh, you also see them in gold tip. What's the weakest link on that piece? If you do not use the collar, it's the connection of the insert on the stem to the shaft. Yep. That's your weakest link. But then yep. at the same time, the longer the broadhead you put on it, the worse it gets, isn't it? Because it's like a lever. Yes, the leverage is significant. Because see, the longer the leverage, the, the longer the broadhead, the more is remember you are not bending the outsert, you are bending the connecting shaft of the one six six on the bottom outsert using that as a leverage, and your fulcrum is not that point. Your fulcrum is the edge of that outsert touching the shaft. That's your fulcrum, and then you're bending on that fulcrum and you crack it. That's very easy to do. Oh, it happens all the time with that shaft. Like this smaller diameter shaft, the the more insert outsert option or problems you have yes and then of course the gentleman who designed it in titanium called me he said oh i got a, I got an idea to fix this i would just use titanium and be done with it i told him uh i done it two years before you did it's not gonna work it's simply a matter of force when you do a tube of that size it's not gonna function but if you do a tube of like an outsert the diameter of the tube just jumped from 166 all the way to the size of the tube, which in most cases, uh, when you're looking at the 166, you're looking at 622. 
600, 6.22 millimeters. And in inches, it will be, sorry, I'm thinking metric. <laughs> About 244,000. So you just jump from a basic 166 to a 244. So, yeah, to a 244. Yes. Have you seen a 244 uh, insert bend? Never. Nope. So you just simply tell yourself, and on top of that, I'm, I'm using 7075 T5. No, actually T6 on my ulcers. Now, let me explain to you why that was such a such a process. I'll, I'll share with you, but since pattern, I don't really care. I make it out of 7075 T5, okay? Then I forge it. It's a warm forge process. What, the, what does forging do? Hardly. Forging softens the metal and ka-chunk. You stamp it into a shape. When you force it into a shape, what does we do? You realign the molecular structure of the metal. You are realigned it. That's why you're saying forgings are so much better than casting because casting means the, the material flow, the directional of the molecules are flowing whatever they want. I mean, just like when you, it, it, I didn't want to go to crystallization of material, but let's jump into it a bit. The, the problem with most material is the crystallization of each crystal. Remember, metal is made of crystal. Between crystal and crystal is how you got the whole formation of the metal. When you liquid, when you liquidize the metal and then you slowly bring it up, that means the slower you can bring it up, the better off you are, because the larger the crystal, the small, the less gap you got. Okay. But when you forge it, you you, you minimize the gap. That's the reason of the moment you forge a 66 to 7071 T5 and you forge it a hot and a warm forge or a cold forge, a hot forge process, you actually move it to a T6. Okay. The T means temper, temper to yeah. level six. All of a sudden, the T6 strength is 82 to 85% of the 303 stainless. Wow. Strength, compared to a 6061, which is not even 30. Wow. See? See the difference? So how you, you know material and you understand what it would do, it do magic. Is, there, then, is anyone else doing that? No. I own the patents to it. <laughs> <laughs> but not just that. And on top of that, you notice, just like the old day, you have to went through all this bullshit and know the failure to come up with better idea. Remember, if you're old enough to remember the day that Beeman come up with the arrow shaft, 100% outsert. But what's the problem with it? They are soft. They use 6061. And you can never get them on right. And if you shoot the animal into any animal with the ulcer, the first thing you do is grab a knife, follow the arrow, cut. Otherwise, the arrow never come out. It doesn't happen with mine. Do you yeah. know why? Blood channels. Just like you know, when you cut your knife into a sticky meat, it stick to the knife, stick to the, the the meat, right? Or in the case of potato, it absolutely stuck. So how do you do it? You put channels on both sides so the air can come in. There's no vacuum effect on the ulcer. Correct. And now you see why those are called blood channels. Because when you pull it, just like, you know, if you grab hold of a really tight rope, you can grab hold tight, right? So what about put some razor blade on it? You're never going to be able to grab it tight because it no. cannot be grabbed tight. So what do you call sharp channels? Blood channels. So now you know why when I remove the ulcers from animals, it's so much easier. It's the same thing with some of the, uh, like, uh, I do not re recommend shooting outside into, uh, what you call it, uh, broadhead targets, because they ballistic are Ballistic gel or? Ballistic gel is totally fine, because there's room. But the moment you hit a broadhead target, like those other cloth bases systems, the cloth will wrap around the thing so tight, you have to physically oh. cut the target to get them out. 
Yeah. But with the outset, with my outset, with the blood channel, at least you got a chance. You got a, you got some a way to get it out, because when you have channels, those edges prevent the pressure build up. Right. In other words, you don't have wedging anymore. That was the beauty of the ulcer system. You got the pattern on think, that too. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, if you think through the process like I did. You understand, I, I did I did not leave any stone unturned. No. And I apply everything I know in physics in it. Because you think through it. I mean, the basic, how do you build pressure? You need to hold a position and and maintain the position so you can build a pressure. So what happened? I do not let you maintain position. I do not let you hold pressure. It can be tightened. As simple as that. Yeah, I mean... Pretty, I mean, when you say it like that, it does make a lot of sense. Correct. Now, with the out, is the outset the best approach for one six six? In my personal opinion, based on today's market, because more, many people want to shoot my arrow stem, because arrow stem that means you only have, have to shoot my broadhead, my field point only. I'm not saying that it's bad. I'm just saying that you know, most archery customer have a very opinionated. <laughs> they 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 want their broadhead and they should have their broadhead. Yeah. Telling them to change everything is close to impossible. Right. I know that. Yeah. So I would say if you like the 1660, the outsert with the CTI is your absolute best bet. You said a better approach. Answer is absolutely. My 166 with the with the arrow stem, then you can use my broadheads, which is my entire swing blade plus the dagger, which is not a bad choice if you like that kind of uh, approach. But then if you're your favorite, you want to shoot your thorn, you want to shoot your, uh, what you call it, your rage, that's okay. But just remember one thing, you need to do a lot more on the vein side, which I'm going to go into next. So if you shoot a 166, how do you control it? Now let's go back to the original idea. 166 have a memory, heavy memory effect, right? So what is the first thing to lower the memory effect mechanically? to shoot as low an FOC as you can possibly do. To reduce but the... Then, correct. Yeah. Because if, if, if you don't have to deal with the flex of the shaft because there's less to overcome, yep. automatically the shaft do not flex. Yep. But then most people don't know how to tune bow, seriously. And I know it sounds bad, but most people don't even know how to shoot. Their form sucked. They don't hold their bow right. Their release A is not in the right position. I mean, that whole thing, whole ship is all there. And they want to shoot 85, 90% off with a 166. At 100 Just yards. like a, a 100 yards. <laughs> I mean, remember the movie, uh, like Taken? Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's where the problem is. So, how did most people overcome it? They put enough weight to the arrow is slow enough, sure, so yeah. the effect of it is minimal. Yep, that's I mean I that's mean, the answer the, to a lot of that. Yeah, and the same at the same time, you know, people say, "Oh, I I I need to," just like if if you if you only got a uh, say uh, a drag racing road of two hundred meters, and you are dragging through that thing, say three point two seconds down at a hundred. And you only got so much bricks. What do you have to do? You have to deploy a parachute. Otherwise, you're gonna be in pieces. Yeah. 
So you know that the, the tail of the arrow is going to flex like a maniac. You already put enough weight in the front, so you're going to flex more like a maniac. So what's the, what's the next thing you can possibly do to make it better? Add weight in the back. It, add weight in the back or add drag in the back. Yeah, yeah. So what's the easiest way to add drag? Four veins. <laughs> Isn't that exactly what everybody is doing? Because if you don't know how to shoot, just like if you don't know how to drive, you, you have too much power and you don't have enough control, you add four veins. You add drag. Yep. What's wrong? I mean, the thing, next thing you, people actually find out better is that you add a lighter knock to it. You also shoot better. Aerofine's up 2.0. Well, they are not ready for it. <laughs> but but adding a lighter knock is easy enough. Yeah, yep. But then uh, this, I, I mean, any you know, ISO 166 since 2012, okay? The number one problem with 166 is that in order to use finite lighter knock correctly, you need to insert, install the finite end cap first before you put the front in. If you do not use my ulcer system or my AeroStem system, because nearly every one of them is solid. Yep, can't get it. Can't, you can't uh, get glue to cure, right? You have to use something like JB Well. Even with JB Well, you still have a problem to deal with this. You have to deal with the uh, the vacuum, the, the the air pressure effect. Yep. Which is none of them is a good thing. No, no. But say if you did all of the above, you're able to learn. You learn how to shoot an arrow outside with an arrow concept with eighty five grain field point with the say with the vein and shooting my my say uh, my my eight my set my eighty seventy five grain falcon. Can the arrow do wonders? Answer is absolutely. I mean, if you look at the national top seven and twelve and the NAVA, they all shoot my arrow out, shoot my arrow stem system. Hmm. They actually worked very well, even for said, low foundation speed. I was gonna say the the, um, the one example I can think of is that girl that you told me about that yep. you set and up with a one six six. Right, and then she used to shoot eight hundred, seven hundred spine, and she's shooting four hundred spine right now, which is great. Which actually the reliability and everything is unbelievable. She have never shoot that before. Yeah, her dad win champion and sent me pictures uh, in Michigan. I was pretty impressed. <laughs> you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, um, like talking about we're getting there, but like what's a one six six good for? What situations are it good for? And you said unless you're doing um, really rough hunting, what did you mean by that? Because at the end of the day. The, the wall thickness have one and only one benefit. It's not easy to break. Durability. Durability. That's part the 166 trumped everything. It's a super durability. But what I found is the shaft itself might be durable, but most of the times the components are not. Exactly. Because you're dealing with a small knot, so easy to break. You're doing it with a, with a, half, with a half out or full out. That stick way behind, which caused the insert to bend. Yeah. So if you say you're going for expedition hunting, you only have one dozen arrow, and you say you use something like the full out, you don't have a. You just lost the reason they use use the one six six. Yeah, because that's gonna bend. Correct. Then the arrow is no good because you can't re, you can't redo an out in the insert in the middle of nowhere and be perfect. Right. And not to mention is the arrow and the arrow flexing so much. If you shoot an animal as close, the product is cutting it at an angle. Your penetration would actually suffer. 
Yep. Even you use super heavy FOC. It's just like imagine you you and uh, say like the last guy I saw, they got a 75 or 125 ring insert with a 175 ring broadhead on the 166. When the arrow touched the target, say within say 10 yards, what's the tail of the arrow doing the moment you hit? The arrow is going to flex left, right, up, down. What does that effect do? What is the resulting energy. factor? You pull backwards. Yeah. <laughs> Opposite of where you want it to go. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, you know, I don't invent physics. I mean, I love a lot of guys didn't take it. But for most of the guys who did to, to do pile driving into mix, uh, make, make poles in the ground, that's exactly what you see every day. Yep. And I don't invent it. You have to find a power driver, cover the entire shelf, and then slam. Can you just simply find a hammer behind it and try to hammer it down? Hell no. That whole shelf just wibble. Yep. Wiggle, wiggle, wiggle. I mean, it's like you've been doing the whatever those are, go go dance play back in the 1960s, but, but you ain't going to go down. But you can see how. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a couple things I want to touch on. Um, Number one, I'm going to circle back, and it, I just was reminded of it when we were talking about Levi Morgan. Remember that video we did on, um, I asked you at Great American Outdoor Show, three fletchings or four fletchings, which one's better? And you said four veins are for people who don't know how to shoot. The mm -hmm. most common uh, rebuttal to that was mm -hmm. um, Levi Morgan shoots four veins. Are you telling me he doesn't know how to shoot? He can shoot anything. <laughs> That's the thing. It's like he's not shooting that because he can't shoot anything else. Precisely. I mean, just like, you know, not to say, I mean, the guy is a great shooter. Don't get me wrong. If today I go and put a PSE in Levi's hand, you think he would not win any competition? Didn't sell Matthew? Yeah, right. If I put it in, say, in, uh, say, Common Express Arrow, you think he would lose any competition? No. So. If I put, a, say, a four-wing, five-wing, six-wing on his bow, you think he would not win any competition? He would have a hard time, but he would still win because he knows his equipment well. He don't go there getting equipment once like us. We got a few shots of, uh, over the over the month and then go shoot. That guy shoot every single day. He knows every single piece of his equipment at the back of his head, which most hunters that will buy you and my equipment don't. That makes sense. But then ask yourself this question. He need that four wings to make the whatever arrow he's making working. Because he need the drag. Well he's if he have hmm? he's uh what probably a 31 inch draw. Correct. He if the arrow is flexing like a maniac without control, do you need the four vane? Answer is yes. But then he's not shooting 305 feet per second, he's shooting 270 feet per second. Right, he has to. Mm -hmm. And not yeah. to mention, there's no 220 spine shaft out there for him. Yeah, if he's he got to slow shoot down. A... Correct, he's going to slow down. And how do you slow down an arrow? Putting weight on the back, putting light down on the back, and then putting four veins. Yep. But if you slow it down, what does the four vein really do? I mean, it does a... first of all, you understand, four vein is the one absolute worst position if there is a heavy wind. Look at the arrow. As you turn the arrow, that's two position of the arrow that's hundred percent on, and the arrow will jerk based on those positions if you rotate it. Am I right? Yeah. And the three veins at any position, the wind over that three is consistent. Yeah. 
you don't have jerking effect. Just like in the aer any aerodynamic, you want the smooth flow. If you want to break the flow, you need to be consistent. Right. What do you get with four veins? You got the most in the consistent crosswind environment. Yep. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So here's my here's my question to to um to wrap to wrap a lot of this up because it it seems to be like the the theme with a lot of the stuff that we talk about. People will they want to know um, does it matter for my scenario or what scenarios does what we are talking about apply? So for a whitetail guy just shooting whitetails, um, mm -hmm. forty yards and in. Is a mm -hmm. 166 still an acceptable shaft? Actually, be fair you, any shaft in the market is acceptable shaft under 40 yards. You just need some practice, know your equipment, know how the drop is. And if you're 166 heavy FOC, you're under 20 yards. Now it's unacceptable. It's unacceptable. Correct. Because, because of the, wound, the direction the of impact. Correct. The, the entire air will not go through. That become an, easily become an unethical shot. But... If you're using a recurve, it is perfect. The because opposite remember, is true. the office straight is true. So the higher the let off, the worse in case it gets. Remember, what's the let off the recurve? Zero. Zero. So if you like the 166, stick again, stick with the lowest possible let off you can have. Yep. Use the lowest point weight you can have. Go with the three veins. You will be good. Balance. Yep. You balance the whole thing. In other words, you optimize what they can do. Is one six six good for something else? Answer that if I'm going to an, I'm going a Olympic competitor. I am now able to tune my bow. My one six six, uh, stamp uh, arrow standpoints is the only few point you can change to tune the bow. And yes, I truly believe that the. The CTI is about as good as it can get if you shoot the 166, especially if you love the tra traditional point and you want to use something like a, a ginormous three-inch broadhead on a highlight of compound bow. The CTI will save your day, especially for customers who are already devoted, invest so much. You can actually install the, one, the CTI after you build it together. You just need a tap to clean the glue. You can install it. But that will make and break your arrow shaft so much. Actually, I got a customer from, uh, who was going for Africa. He only shoot the 166. And he say, I have a 100-yard penetration that I have never seen before. Wow. And he's, just, he's shooting a PSE Mark III, 73-pound, I believe, on 30-inch straw. And then he used my 166, I believe, on some... He, he I, I don't recall. Oh, yeah. He was using my outserts with the 166. Wow. It even work, believe it or not, you even work on Iron Wheels Broadhead because his speed what, is not up there. Yeah, it was a, uh, we actually, I think we talked to a customer here that said he was using the Iron Wheel with your 166. Mm hmm. Really? You did? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Um, I don't remember his name, but I also, um, there was a guy that was trying to basically replicate the, uh, um, Snyder core system or the iron war iron will insert system with the CTIs. Well, actually, you know, the, the most important part of the CTI is that people need to understand the CTI is not to stiffen the shaft. It's minimize the harmonics. 
In other words, the the the, the sine wave, the arrow is going to make is going to be minimal. I mean, just yeah. like I mean, if you are the car guy, I'm going to give you this idea so you understand what's going on. You want the best spring and dampening system so that the car will go back and touch the the wheel will touch the ground and the car will be stable. That's what you want. The CTI with the glue, the glue. It's not the CTI, it's the glue. Because see, people have put shaft and stuff like inside the arrow before. But they but this two will move separately. So you got layer separation with total different. End up you end up with two pieces of carbon rubbing on each other and then put coating. Answer said, yes, it worked. But the only thing is from arrow to arrow, you have no consistency. Miss every arrow gonna shoot differently. Can you live with that? I mean, if you can deal with that, might as well shoot Nitro Stinger. It gives you a similar effect in some way because it's a barrel shaft. Yeah. That makes sense. Well, that's all concluded what we want to talk about, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I think uh I mean kind of can kind of a little bit convinced me to want to try a 166 just to see what it what well, the you know, capability. You can. Now just just remember when you do 166, you you need to know there's a few things in it that you will not achieve. But the benefit of the 166 is that you got super durability. In other words, it's like me building the 166. Do I want to build it? No, I really don't want it, but I want to push the limit just for the heck of it. Right. Because if I had not done it, I can't come I can't comment it because I, I don't know shit. I have yeah. to do it. Yep. Now I have done it. I know what is good, what is bad. I'm sharing that with you. And nobody need to believe me they can try the same thing because I mean, just like chat. Two years ago, what should I say more? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I still remember what what's his name? Uh, 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 your your other boss, the company Jake. Illinois. Jake. Jake sent me a friend with a one six six. He said, "I just need to this boat to shoot. I can't. I can't make it work." Oh, <laughs> well, he make it. I make it work for him, didn't I? <laughs> yes, he did. Because I just I just take that three hundred ring off and put an arrow outside on it. I said, "This is the easiest way to do. If you want more, when you finish season finish." Let's put the CTI in it and let's get you to shoot a better broadhead and fuel point combination. Because see, another thing about 166 is that it's even more critical for the concentricity of the fuel point of the 166 for most people. You stick it out way far. Yeah. Makes I mean, sense. You, you start, at any angle you have any misalignment on the 166, especially with a typical full out, you're, you're exaggerating the, mis, the, the, the situation. Not just fivefold, tenfold. Oh yeah, bad time. Mm hmm. I mean, you know, you, you see, in the case of two hundred four, you guys see a little bit of misalignment. What does it do? Now imagine one six six is even longer. So all the mistakes become even more obvious. It's more dramatic. It's not, it's more, in other words, yeah, a lot of guys. Oh, I'm gonna build a one six six by myself. And say don't. I mean, I mean that's the reason Eastern come up with a good approach. Don't get me wrong with the with the deep six. It's a four forty thread they put inside. I mean, but then you're dealing a whole new system. But then again, you're dealing with what the HIT does. Every time you shoot, you crumble the carbon shaft. Yep. So I personally believe that if you want the one six six in today's world, the best is my arrow outsuit with the uh, CTI. If you want the ultimate system, my arrow stem is. But you had to give up on the choice of broadheads, which most people are not willing to. That makes sense. Well, all right, George. Um, mm -hmm. I have to get back to building some arrows. So <laughs> I, I, uh, 
I appreciate your time today. And um, guys, as always, if you have any questions for us, for Dorge, if you're looking to try the 166 out, get a hold of him. And like he always says, there's a 30 day, 30 day, right? Unconditional. Correct. Or better still, talk to one of my sort of untrained dealers. Let them build it for you. Yeah. You, you'll be, I mean, if that's what you want, yes, you're going to pay money for it. But at least you know, technology wise, it is the best if you want to, you do have all this. Just like, if you really want to go to hunt, do you really want a bad guide who don't know the place? You're no. just wasting your time. Exactly. All right, my friend. As, as usual, it's always a great time with you. Yes, sir. Well, until next week, we will talk to you soon. All right. Have a good one.